0: Okay, well, kind of, kind of ish, eh? All right, fair enough. Let me say, great having some more babies amongst us, eh? I love babies, fantastic. Little tiny life, right? Little like this, uh, and you know, God does it, and then He puts it in like the woman's womb, and then nine months, and then the babies come out. I haven't got over that. I'll be honest with you. I'm just telling you how it is. I have not got over it. How clever is God? It's a little person. And it's like virtually all there, like at a really early stage. Man alive. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for a new birth among us, Lord. Thank you for your new spiritual birth, new physical birth. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. And we pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit now. Would you speak to us? Would you teach us? Would you open up our ears? Open up our hearts, Lord. We believe that your word... Uh, is true. It's relevant to each one of us. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us collectively as a church and come and speak to us individually as well, we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, last couple of weeks, uh, two weeks ago, we were in Scotland uh, where the New Ground, our family of churches, we were up there for a prayer day. They've now got three churches there and trying to reach Scotland, and so I was up there, and then last Sunday, uh, I was away in Harrow, appointing two elders to the church there, so apologies, we've been away a little bit, Uh, and actually, we're going to be away for the next two weeks, because uh, Jane and I go to America on Saturday, Uh, we're celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary a year late, Um, so that's a milestone, isn't it, 30 years Jane's put up with me, Uh, can you imagine that, and Oh, we fly on the Saturday, and on the Sunday, we're going to be speaking at their International Sunday. Uh, Ian, uh, Ashby, and Emma, many of you will know, uh, they used to be here. Ian used to lead the team. They're now on that northeast side of America, heading up the New Frontiers. Again, our wider family of churches, New Frontiers family there. And they knew we were going over, so they said, Any chance of speaking, it's our International Sunday. And to be honest, if it would have been any other Sunday, I probably would have said no. But because it was the International Sunday, I just felt like I had to say yes. Because I love International Sundays. We've had them here in the past. Uh, Hopefully we'll have them again. But it's just one of those Sundays when you ask people, whichever nation you come from, please why don't you wear whatever clothes is your national costume or dress. So I come in jeans and t-shirt, but others wear, you know, more flamboyant things. People might bring food from their nation which I think is always nice. You might have worship in different languages. And, and, you know, you just celebrate. So I love those kind of international Sundays. But, you know, what I want to remind them of when I go, apart from saying, hey, this is fantastic, which is what a great testimony from BAMI, eh? A year ago, brought all the way from another nation and uh, now part of us and part of this church. I, I want to say to them, look, it's fantastic But I also want to remind them that they're not actually primarily celebrating the fact that there are lots of people from different nations that go to that church. That is wonderful, but it's not what they're primarily celebrating. What they're primarily celebrating is the fact that the gospel has saved people and those people are very different than one another. But the gospel, the same gospel, has saved them and now brought them together in one church, in one family. See, when you have an International Sunday like that, you're not celebrating diversity. You're celebrating the effect of the gospel. The fact that in Jesus Christ, the wall that divided people from God and also people from people has been smashed to bits. That is what you are celebrating. The fact that at the cross, people got reconciled to each other and got reconciled to him. It's the power of the cross. If you are a Christian here this morning, you are not here because you are a good little boy and girl. You are not here because you happen to grow up in an English country or, or, or your parents went to church. If you are a Christian, it's because the power of the cross has just become effective in your life. The fact that we don't deserve to be saved, people of different languages, different colors, different educations, yet we find a unity at the cross. That is what I'm going to be reminding them of next week. Actually, I'm going to be saying we are and they are living proof of that fact that God's kingdom has come and is coming and will continue to come. And actually, as we kind of stand in now today, look across the world, the nations of the earth, as we think about the great commission to make disciples of all nations, if we think about that, I think the reality of the situation is this, it's a great challenge, but we have greater encouragement. Great challenge, but greater encouragement. See? If you ignore the size and the scope of the challenge, you're just living in unreality. But we mustn't ignore the fact that there are also great encouragements. And in fact, those great encouragements are greater than the challenges if we look at it through the eyes of faith. If you don't look at it through the eyes of faith, then the challenges will become greater than the encouragements. Are you with me? But if you look at it through the eyes of faith, then the challenges, though there, can be overcome because the encouragements are greater. And this morning, what we're going to look at is some of those encouragements. And I I hope and I'm praying that they will help you individually and me individually and us corporately as we face up to this challenge of sharing the gospel, of being involved in God's mission of the advance of his kingdom in the nations of the world. And I'd like to start by looking at some verses from Matthew 24. I did a PowerPoint, but then I didn't have any means properly of getting it here. So in fact, we've only got one slide this morning. Joe, could you show us our one slide? When it comes up, there it is. Oh, well, there's bits of it anyway. Okay. That is our one slide. You're going to see that come up a lot today. It's a verse from Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is teaching what is going to happen from the time when he uh, rises and goes to be in heaven, and then he comes again later on. What is going to happen in the years in between that we actually get to live in? And if you read through Matthew 24, Jesus talks about some terrible and some wonderful things. If you go through Matthew 24... He talks about things like from verses 4 to 7, he talks about people being deceived. He talks about there being wars, and there being rumors of wars. And he talks about there will be famines. And he says nation is going to rise against nation. And he says there's going to be earthquakes. And then he goes on in verse 10, he actually says many are going to turn from faith. Many are going to turn on each other. Their love for God is going to grow cold. Verse 21 of Matthew 14, Jesus says, From then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. This is not light bedtime reading, is it? Do you think the world is bad kind of now? You read Matthew 24 and you realize, ooh. He actually says in verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. That's what he says. That's what he says. That's what he says is going to happen as time goes on. And it's terrible. But then in verse 30, it talks about the Son of Man. And the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and him sending his angels and gathering his people to himself. Literally, the Son of Man, when he comes again, when Jesus comes again, all that will end and he will gather the people to themselves. And in verse 36, it talks about the day and the hour not being known. We don't know when that's going to be. Jesus even says that he doesn't know. Only God the Father knows. So when you read Matthew 14... It's not a light, easy read. I don't know what his disciples would have quite made of it. Jesus, you're painting a picture that, yeah, one day it gets fantastic, but actually is fairly dreadful. Fairly dreadful, Jesus. In the meantime, but in the middle of this teaching is verse 14, when Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So right in the middle of kind of this bad news story, you get verse 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. This promise, this assurance that the gospel will be preached, the good news of Jesus of his rule and reign, the forgiveness of sins, the adoption as children of God, justification, sanctification, this place in God's heart, this place in God's heaven, this way of salvation which has been opened for us. The fact that God declares us guilty and then Jesus pays the price. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you're a testimony This is your testimony. We are trophies of God's grace. We are evidence of this. I am a living, breathing, walking proof that the good news of Jesus is still active, still saving people today. 2,000 years after the event that made it possible. This gospel got preached to me and got preached to you and we responded. And that is proof. It's evidence of verse 14. And therefore, we can surely take heart, we can be stirred, we can be passionate, we can be deliberate, we can take courage at playing our part in seeing this gospel of the kingdom go to all the nations of the world. And when I say that, it doesn't mean we have to get on a boat and go overseas, because guess what? The nations of the world live on our doorstep now. It might mean going overseas, but it might mean going over the road. Because that's where the nations of the world are now. And Jesus actually says it won't be easy. I mean, read the chapter. Jesus is telling his disciples it's not going to be easy. Listen to the things that are going to go on. It's not going to be easy. But, you know, he says it's going to be difficult and costly. It's going to happen under pressure amid persecution desertion, disappointment, seeming failure. But actually, Jesus is saying, no, no, it's going to be worth it. He's saying, I'm going to be with you. And we have to ask ourselves, so God, why would we sign up for this? What, how is this worth it, Jesus? Well, our motivation must be the same as his motivation. And when Jesus looked at the cross... He was willing to go to the cross because it was a way of reaching lost people like you and I, who were without God and without hope. He looked at it and he saw beyond it and he saw the result. And he said, I'll do it, which is why in Hebrews 12 it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That was Jesus' motivation, his reward, his reason. And as his followers, as his disciples, we must have the same motivation, the same reason, the same reward. If he's our king, then the advancement of his kingdom is what's on our agenda. In fact, we don't have another agenda because we're not trying to build our own kingdoms. Most of the world is trying to build their own kingdom. They're trying to build their own kingdom around their own little world, their own little lives. They're trying to be king on their own throne in their own kingdom. And woe betide anybody else who dares to touch or speak into that. We are Jesus's people. We do not get to build our own kingdoms. We get to advance his kingdom. He is the one. It's his kingdom. And we can never say that we save this person or that person or reach this nation and that nation. But what we can do is to play our part. We can play our part, empowered by the Spirit, in seeing this nation reached, that person reached. And this morning, as we're just thinking about mission and taking the gospel to the nations, literally what it says there in verse Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom being preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. I'd like us just to look at some things from the past, some things from the present, and some things from the future, and I want us to see the great challenges. We're not going to bury our heads in the sand. We're going to look at the great challenges, and then we're going to see what God did and try and understand, no, no, there are greater encouragements than the great challenges. So let's start with the past. Let's start in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. If you're a Christian and don't read the Old Testament, then in my opinion, it's just crazy. Because there's so many wonderful stories of who God is and how he moved. And when you read the Old Testament, you see God's people are in slavery in Egypt. And God brings them out and parts the Red Sea. And then he says to them, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. Just have a listen to how he describes it uh, to them in Numbers 13, 27. And 28. Numbers 13, 27 and 28. He, he says to them, Okay, so here's the land of milk and honey, and uh, the people of God send out 12 tribes to go and have a look and see what the land's like. And they come back and they say this. They gave Moses this account We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. See, 12 men went out to spy the land, and 10 came back and said, we can't do it. There's two greater challenges. The people that live there are fortified, and there's lots of them, and they're huge. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, came back and said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a land flowing of milk and honey, and the cities are large, and the people are. But, but we can do it. It's a great challenge, but we can do it. Now, why did two say yes and ten say no? Because the two realised that they had God on their side. The ten were working out us v them. We lose. Joshua and Caleb, us and God v them. It's a walk in the park. But there was a challenge there. It was a challenge for the people. But when you read through the Old Testament, you see the ways that God then encouraged them, how he enabled them to take the land. You read stories like the walls of Jericho. They come to one of those cities and they can't get in. And God says, walk around, walk round, worshipping. One day, two day, three day, four day, five day, six day, seven day, the walls fell down. Now that's my kind of battle. Do you know what I mean? If I'm in an army, that's what I'm happy with that, to be honest, as long as I'm not inside the walls. When you go on and read it, how about this? At Gibeon, when God stopped the sun. God stopped the sun, and God was raining down hailstones on the on the army, the enemy's army. And the Bible says that more of the enemy died because of the hailstones and the sword. That's my kind of battle, if I'm honest with you. What about other times when God made the opposing army turn on itself? Some ran away and some turned on themselves. Other times, how about this? Has anyone seen the Lord of the Rings? I think it's the second one maybe, might be the third one. But that moment when that ship uh, comes sailing into the harbour and the three heroes are stood there and they've got the army of the dead behind them. Do you remember that? Anybody? Yeah, thanks Hannah, I'm telling you then. And you know when they stand there and, you know, and the guy says, well you and your army because they can't see the army of the dead there. And he says, well you know me and my army. And they say. There's a moment, I mean Tolkien got that from the scripture. Because there's a moment in the Old Testament when God opens up the eyes of his people and they see the fact that it's not just the human army that's there on their side. There's the army of heaven, cant all around them. There is great encouragement in the Old Testament stories that the people of God face these great uh, great challenges. But there is great encouragement because God is with them. Let me tell you the story of William Carey. This guy got saved as a teenager. uh, He was working as a blacksmith's apprentice. He pastored a little church in Northampton, England. He had so little money that he worked as a schoolteacher and mended shoes. And in 1792, Carey and a dozen other Baptist ministers started the Baptist Missionary Society. They had the equivalent of 20 pounds. 20 pounds that's all that they had and the following year Carey and his wife dorothy and his son felix landed in india as missionaries and they had with them dorothy's sister kitty and a physician called john thomas and john's wife and john's daughter and they arrive in india and they're opposed by the indian authorities they're opposed by the indian people They're opposed by the British East India Company. Within a few years, John Thomas had squandered all the money, Felix had died, Kitty had gone off and married a soldier, and Dorothy, Carey's wife, was showing signs of mental illness, and soon she dies. I mean, you can't tell me that is not great challenge. Put yourselves in the shoes of William Carey. That is great challenge. Millions and millions of Indians to reach. So many challenges. And yet in 1800, Carey saw his first convert. By 1821, they baptized 1,407 converts. And in the following years and decades and generations, millions gave their lives to Jesus. Great challenge, but greater encouragement. How about this for a story? A little later on, 1853, a guy called Hudson Taylor sailed out of Liverpool, heading for China. But China was a nation of millions, spread in different provinces. And in the whole of the nation, there were no more than a few dozen missionaries. Let's just try and put that into perspective. It's like Europe having one missionary per country. We got, we got one in Germany. We got one in France. That's all right. We got one in Belgium or That's that's what it's like. The whole of China. Less than three dozen missionaries. He had virtually no support financially. He had issues with the language. He had issues with the culture. He had hostility from just about everyone. Great challenge. Great challenge. And yet, do you know, by the time Hudson Taylor died, China was the most fertile mission field on the planet. Even the communists, when he died, they set up a monument for him when when his grave was lost, and they cite the fact that the missionaries founded 6,000 schools, 19 universities, and 900 hospitals. In 2018, the Chinese government declared that there were 44 million Christians living in China. And that is a conservative estimate. See, great challenge, but guess what? Greater encouragement. But how must Carey and Hudson Taylor and the other missionaries went? They must have seemed overwhelmed, daunted. How are we going to get... How are we going to reach these millions and millions of people? Do you know they're going to tell them the gospel. They're going to share with them the gospel. Why? Because Matthew 24, 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Let's just think about the present for a moment, shall we? Do you know, in France, there are 67 million people and there are less than 700,000 evangelical Christians. It's a great challenge, just on our doorstep. It's a great challenge. And yet, you know, the church there is growing. We've got 14 new ground churches there. Guess what? They're seeing people saved. They're seeing people added. They're seeing people come to faith. Why? Because the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations. As I've said to you before, six years ago, I sat in a room with Martin and Lisa and Henk and A in Maastricht. Should they start a church? Three weekends ago, they had their fifth birthday, 150, 200 people worshipping in that church. Why? Because the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations. In England, in our nation, we are busy turning away from God. We are busy overturning laws and statutes that are based on the gospel. they served us well for 250 years, and now we've basically unleashed confusion. That would be my opinion. Great challenge. And yet, do you know, there's a lady in one of our churches on the south coast of England, she's seen 200 people healed. Thank you, somebody said wow. <laughs> Praise God. Do you know, when I went out to Scotland... I was talking to another guy who leads our church in Eastbourne. That day, they were bringing 22 people into membership and they were baptizing a dozen people. This week, I was with a guy who leads one of our churches in Southeast London. They had their yearly all together service, they just brought 44 people into membership. See, it's not about the numbers. But it's evidence and encouragement that God is working. God is advancing his kingdom. This last week, I was with a guy called Chris Taylor. Uh, Some of you may see him. He leads a church in The Hague. He said to me, the week before, they got a lady who's a refugee from Iraq, joined their church a few months ago. She's suffering from a disease where she just keeps bleeding. Bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. Doctors can't stop it. Two people from the church went round, prayed for her, anointed her head with oil. The moment they did that, she felt something in her insides stopped bleeding instantly. Now, it's amazing. How about this? I was chatting to a guy who leads um, youth work just down the road at one of our churches. They got about 50 youth. They went, they're at New Day, 9,000 young people in the summer worshipping God. They couldn't get into the meeting on the last night. Imagine that, you've gone to this youth event last night, big night, they all leave together from their campsite, they can't get in. The stewards are saying it's too big. Everyone's come for the last night. His youngsters are. He thinks, what do we do? So he's all right, sit down outside. We'll listen to the worship through the tent thing, and then and then we'll kind of have our own kind of, you know, ministry time, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He told me, two kids got saved. Five got baptized with the Spirit, and a whole number of them got healed outside the tent. See, a great challenge, but there's great encouragements around us. And you know, as a local church, a new ground as a family of churches, like any church or family of churches, there are things that don't work out. There are things that we're disappointed with. There's challenges. There's distractions. There's things that make us scratch our head. There's things going on in our lives or other people's lives that break our heart and make us cry. There are great challenges but we also have great encouragements and sometimes we just need to stand back and look at what God is doing and the breakthroughs and we need to take encouragement and we need to take faith from them and we need to ask ourselves why in the midst of such great challenges, God, are these things happening? And the reason is Matthew 24 verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all. What about the future? We've looked at the past, some things in the present. What about the future? Well, actually, God has very graciously written the ending for us. He is guaranteed. He's written it, how it will end. And actually, By doing that when you read the life stories of people from the past heroes of faith from the past you realize often what really keeps them going in the very difficult times is the fact that God has written the end God has declared how it will be one day and so actually they keep on persevering and reaching out because they know how it will be let me read some of them to you uh let me start. If you've got your Bible or your, your pad or whatever, you might want to follow some of these. They would have come up on the screen had I have got the PowerPoint, but they won't now. <laughs> so the first one is Mark 4, verse 26. Let me read this for you. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Or let me just reinterpret that. People in King's Church, Oxted, went and told their friends about Jesus. Verse 27, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. (laughs) How about this one? Isaiah 9, verse 7, talking about Jesus. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. How about this one, Revelation 7 verse 9. This is talking about the very end of the time when Jesus comes back. says, After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. See, we can have great confidence, great encouragement, that despite the challenges, the gospel will go to the ends of the earth, which means we can continue to pray, to to go, to give. We can be faithful. We can be persistent. And, you know, I think this thing of great challenge and great encouragement, as I've thought about it, I think it's also pretty apt for our lives in general. I don't know about you, but I think we often face challenges. Different people face different challenges at different times. Might be health. Might be an issue with sin. Might be an issue with finance. But there's still challenges. But the truth is that no matter what the challenge is, we have greater encouragement. Because we have God. Because we are God. But what we need to do is to trump the challenges with the encouragement. That actually doesn't happen automatically. You've got to you've got to take hold of the encouragements and who God is and who you are. And when you come up against a challenge, you've got to take hold of this and you've got to lay it on top of that. It won't just dissolve like sugar in a hot cup of tea. It's the same with faith and fear. It's the same with truth and lies. I, I don't know if you play cards. I used to play cards when I was a kid. You'd have, a, you know, four of you playing cards and you're trying to win a, a, a trick and the opposition would lay a king. They'd lay a king. Now, you you no good ignoring the king. They've laid a king. It's on the table. If you're going to beat the king, you're going to have to lay an ace. You're going to have to trump that king. I think it's the same. I don't think fear just goes away because there's plenty of scary stuff in this life. What we need to do is we need to take courage and we need to take faith. We need to take who God is. We need to take his Holy Spirit. We need to take that and we need to look the fear squarely in the eyes and we need to lay the faith across the top. I actually think it's the same with truth and lies. See, the lies of the world, the the lies the devil spews out about who you are. It's no good trying to bury them, ignore them, la, 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 can't hear them. What you need to do is look at that lie then you need to go and find God's truth and you need to stick that one on top of that one. And I think similarly, when we're thinking about the advance of God's kingdom, sharing, spreading the gospel, it's a challenge. But we have greater encouragement because God is with us and God has said how it will be. And God has even written down for us in the pages of our Old Testament and New Testament Encouragements that overcome, and God has given us history you know, from history Christians like Carrie and others who have done it. The challenges in our lives don't disappear, but they can be overcome as we rely on, obey, listen to our Heavenly Father. We are always going to have great challenge. If you don't want great challenge, you shouldn't have signed up, as it were, for the Christian life, it's going to be full of challenges. But our encouragements are greater. The encouragements, the things that God can do and will do, are greater. And that's true for our lives. And that's true as we share the gospel. I wonder if I can just pray for us, then I'm going to hand back over to Quincy. Father, I do want to thank you uh, that what you say is true. And Lord, I want to thank you that your gospel will go to all the nations of the world and gathered before you one day will be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And Lord, I thank you for myself and my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that we are part of that. And Lord, we, we pray and we ask, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you give us encouragements, Lord, would you give us boldness? Lord, would you give us courage? Lord, and would you give us opportunity? Lord, to play our part. And Lord, like it says there, Lord, might we be those who sow the seeds? Might we be the one who sow the seeds, Lord? Even next Sunday here, as Neil and Naomi bring friends and family, Lord, would there be seeds sown? Lord, in hearts... And Lord, we know we can't make it grow, but we know that you can make it grow. And Lord, so we pray, make us seed sowers of your gospel. And Lord, would you help us to keep our eyes forever fixed on you? And Lord, would you never let the enemy take us out of action through disappointment or or through just being downhearted? Lord, open our eyes. Lord, open our eyes to the possibilities. Open our eyes to what you're doing, Father. As we go through life, Lord, give us divine appointments, not just Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask in Jesus' precious name.